Hello and welcome to the Arts and Culture Podcast, where each month I, Trishina Chung, and a member of the wider Gallagher team will speak and meet up with a creative voice with links to the black country as we explore and discuss our shared history and wider cultural offer within Wolverhampton. Come along with me to discover all the different people, venues and organisations who have and are continuing to champion culture within our city to provide an outstanding cultural experience for all. In this first episode, our senior creator, Carol Thompson, speaks with Brendan Flynn, Keith Piper and Claudette Johnson about the show Black Art and Done to celebrate its 40th anniversary. Black Art and Done, from our knowledge, was one of the first times work by young black artists were displayed in a public gallery, sowing the first seeds to the British black art movement. In this rich conversation, we were able to bring together three unique voices who experienced the show in their own way. Keith Piper, a leading black artist and founder of the Black Art Group, who was one of the five artists that were displayed at Black Art and Done. He was able to share with us stories about the show, how it came about and its impact during that time. Brendan Flynn was one of the curators at the gallery at the time and he was able to give us discussions about his memories of putting on the show alongside Eddie Chambers. An acclaimed figurative artist, Claudette Johnson, who was able to give us a unique perspective on the show as a spectator. She was able to discuss the impact it had on her to see black artists work in a gallery as a young student in Wolverhampton at the time. The four of them together gave us a rich conversation discussing the show, but also looking at black British representation at the time, looking at the art world in the 80s, now and going forward. It was a fascinating conversation and I'm delighted to be able to share with you in this podcast what was said and what they discussed. As we celebrate and explore black art and done, an important show in Wolverhampton's cultural history. I would like to start by asking about the context and the um, and how Black Art and Done first came about. Um, I want to ask this from Keith's perspective and from um, from Brenda's perspective. Um, but I, I will ask Keith first then about how the exhibition came about. Okay, um, I think it's really interesting because um, absolutely key to the exhibition is obviously the kind of the kind of history and drive of Eddie Chambers. I mean, he was he was the core person, uh, and he was Eddie and um, a local activist called Eric Pembleton who actually brought together uh, um, um, this particular group of young artists. Now, I was actually the last the last of the five artists who were involved in the show to become involved with that. And, and, and my involvement only comes from the fact that uh, um, in 1979, 80, 
um, Eddie Chambers and myself were doing a foundation course together um, in, in, in Coventry, in um, Lanchester Polytechnic Coventry. Um, and now I was at the time going through this kind of very strange phase in my in my own work, which was very anarchic. And I was interested in people like Robert Rauschenberg. I was collecting stuff, I was making really like messy combines and stuff. And me and Eddie um, shared a space. And I think he absolutely hated my work. I think we had loads of fights over it. Now, um, the interesting thing is he didn't actually invite me uh, 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 to, to get involved in the show. He didn't even mention it to me. I overheard him speaking about this show to somebody else. I was like, hold on, what's all this show here? And so I asked him about it and he was like, oh, well, uh, you could come to one of the meetings. So um, I attended um, one of the meetings and um, this must have been in kind of early 1980. And at that time, the exhibition, we were actually working towards an exhibition which was going to be at, at, at at a Bilston Gallery, something like that. Yeah. Um, it was only later on that um, the venue was then shifted to the Wolverhampton Art Gallery. I think that was through the efforts of, of Eric and Eddie, and obviously they must have been speaking to Brendan and others. Um, yeah. It was a fantastic moment that um, the show moved to that gallery. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that was really significant. The other thing which is significant is the name of the show. Um, now, I don't know if this is true or not, because it, it has been raised by some people. It was raised by um, Rashi Lareen first. And, and he said that it was the first time in the United Kingdom that the term black art had been used in connection with the visual art exhibition. Now, I'm hoping that there are historians out there <laughs> who are saying, oh, no, no, that's not true. And I know that there was this show in 1978, which used the term black art and all that kind of stuff. But um, it may be interesting that that this may be the first time that that explicit term was used. Um, and it was used very, very much because at that time, both Ed, Eddie and myself were reading a lot of kind of black American writing about black art. But most of those writings from people like Ron Karenga, et cetera, et cetera, were about um, uh, uh, um, black art in general. They were speaking about music and writing, et cetera, et cetera. And there was very little stuff which was available about black visual art. So it's just interesting that that title arose at that, that moment. But I suppose that's, that's part of the broad history of the group. So, Brendan, from your point of view then, uh, what's, what's your side of the story? Well, um, we were approached by these young artists. Um, I have to say that they were the first black artists who'd ever crossed the threshold of the office in, in Wolverhampton applying for an exhibition. Um, David Rogers was the director at the time, and David wasn't your average uh, art gallery director, to put it mildly. He was uh, quite a, a progressive um, director and not, not afraid to court controversy. And also he believed that um, art galleries had a role in the community, that they ought to serve the community and all parts of the community for that matter. Otherwise, there, there was no point in them. They were rather redundant organisations. So David Rogers was a pioneer our kind of socially engaged exhibitions of one kind or another. Um, so when um, Keith and uh, Eddie uh, came in and showed us some of the work, David and I were quite taken aback by it, really, because it was 
it was more aggressive, more um, politically engaged than anything we'd seen before. It was absolutely in your face. Um, the kind of work they showed us was um, screen prints and, and drawings unframed and obviously brand new work. Um, and the way they spoke about it was so impassioned that both David and I were really sort of knocked out by it. And we thought we ought to show this. So David made the executive decision that it would be the gallery would show it. And things proceeded from then on. Um, my role, I have to say, in all this was just because I was the, the, the keeper of fine art, as I was called in those days, my job was just to coordinate that the exhibition had already been curated by Eddie and Keith, presumably. Um, so I didn't actually know the precise contents of the exhibition before it arrived. Um, so my role was purely kind of liaison, helping to put the show up, doing the helping with the layout, talking to the press and stuff like that. Um, so the exhibition had its own kind of momentum once it once it had been agreed. Yeah, yeah. That, that's it's, it's really interesting to um, you know to hear that both those sides of the story and and just to know that it was actually um, um, given a, given an opportunity um, because it really was you know as far as we were aware was the first to be shown in a, a major institution. Um, so there is thanks there to Mr. Rogers. Um, and to you, uh, Brendan, um, in the in the brochure, which um, it was, you know, it was really overtly political, wasn't it? <laughs> um, which we will sort of come on to talk about a little bit more. Um, I'd like to bring Claudette in as well here, just to consider, as from a from her point of view at that time in 1981, as a student in the city, and just observing the culture and um, context at that time. Uh, you know what? What? What was your reaction, Claudette, to to this uh, exhibition, and and how did you come to hear about it? Um, well, firstly, Wolverhampton, um, you know, it was quite an impoverished town, and there wasn't a lot going on. So the the art block, the building that I was in, was a kind of um, city unto itself in a way so there were, very, there were very few things to go to apart from the student union or the pub and occasionally the gallery um and I actually don't know how I how I came to know about the show but again because there was so little going on um it must have stood out I mean I must have passed a poster or something but I know I do remember walking in through the gallery doors and, and just being amazed to see work by, well, contemporary artists who were my age who managed to show in a, you know, in a central gallery space. Um, it was incredible. And then, of course, there was, I mean, I don't know if you want me to talk about this right now, but then there was the work itself, which mm -hmm. was, as Brendan said, so politically engaged. And, um, and also, um, I think it moved between speaking very directly to black people coming into that space and, and saying, this is for us, this is about us. Um, and, 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 and so that was new because I hadn't walked into a gallery and, and, and met work that was speaking directly to me in that way before about um, black experience. 
And secondly, um, the other part of the work was um, pointing the finger, haranguing, um, you know, the, the oppressors, you know, um, pointing out what was wrong and directing us to what needed to change. Um, so it's incredibly powerful just, just, just experiencing that for the first time, a space where um, work by black artists had been, um, was being celebrated. Um, and the, I think one of the works that stood out for me, I mean, there, was lot, there were lots. Um, one of them was Keith's 13 Dead, and the other was um, Eddie's um, Huna Black Now. And um, Huna Black Now, uh, as I remember it, and I may have forgotten some bits about it, but I remember it as a, a mirror, quite large mirror with a gold frame and um, um, screen pinned onto the mirror was um, a scene of rioting, somebody hurling Molotov cocktails and things. And um, either printed onto the screen or underneath it, onto the mirror or underneath it, um, was the phrase, who no black now, now go black again. Which, um, again, I thought it was incredible because he was, the, Eddie in that, in that work was, um, assuming he would have a black audience for the work and inviting any black person looking to that mirror to reflect on on who they were who they were in that moment when there was so much political change going on when you know there was still apartheid in south africa um there were all, there were all kinds of um aspects of racism that were just part of daily life and that we were used to and so to be addressed directly and say by this um, work that said, if you can't describe yourself as black now, if you haven't made the political leap to recognizing that there's a black struggle going on in this country now, then who are you? Um, so it spoke, it spoke directly to me. Very yeah, powerful. amazingly, um, amazingly powerful message. And uh, I mean, I think that's that sort of rawness and, um, Avert questioning and confrontation is there within um, all, all the work. I mean, you just need to look at the titles of the work. Can I just can I, can I just come back in terms of that that conversation about the work because it's really mm. really interesting. I don't have a, as clear a recollection as Claudette as the, of this Huna Black work and this this line from Burning Spear Huna Black now and the Black again, all that kind of stuff. This 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 um, this kind of um, um articulation of you know the importance of that word etc i mean i'm i'm kind of fascinated in thinking back at you know the things which the five artists who were involved in that show wrote about the work and it's it's interesting to kind of look at at the statements mm -hmm. um, it's a very interesting mix because um um in terms of um it does Andrew Hazel and Ian Parker are um, both, in a sense, their statements are actually quite apologetic because Andrew Hazel is saying, I'm not a, I'm not a political artist, I'm an illustrator. You can tell I don't. Ian Parker I mean, is saying, I don't have any skill when his work was wonderful. Very interesting. I mean, it's interesting that both Eddie Chambers and myself 
already had this kind of statement where we were talking about the functioning of the work and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that was very much um, establishing a particular way of speaking about work, which will become synonymous with these exhibitions. The one which really interests me is Dominic Dawes, which is an incredibly contemporary statement. Because what Dominic Dawes does is he's responding directly in a really personal way to these, these messages of racism. He says, you know, I looked in the dictionary, I saw this, it made me feel in this way. And, and, and that feels very much like a sort of, you know, 2020, 2021 way of thinking about, about race as the sort of personal, something which is a really um, um, personal thing to respond to. I, th I thought that was really fascinating in looking at, yeah. at the kind of um, the way the artists themselves had presented this, this thing. I mean, the piece which, which stood out for for and me um, in terms of almost the totemic piece for that show was this piece by Eddie Chambers, with, you, know, you know, of um, a plaster cast of his fist. Uh -huh. I don't know if you can remember that, going through um, this window, <laughs> you know, and it was like this, upright fist, window, and there were all these concomitations kind of there. And I remember that one of the one of the responses to the show was, you know, there's a fist coming through the window by Eddie Chambers and with all these connotations, not all of them positive. So there was all these kind of things about violence. It could have been a bit phallic. It could have been all these sorts of things, but it was this incredible object was sat in the center of the space. And in a sense, that sort of set an agenda for the work and the way that the work would develop. Yeah, it was sort of, um, as yeah. the background there, you see that he's used this image of the fist taken from um, this really important album at the time called The Front Line. Yeah. But if anybody remembers, it was an album which you could go to shop and buy for 99 pence. Yeah. And it was this, all these classic um, uh, tracks from Ireland, I think it was. Was it Ireland, yeah. of course? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, so that whole thing of the fist holding the, the barbed wire, that was a very, iconic image for the late 1970s so this was yeah but that whole thing of the fist and all those kind of kind of things were very um evocative of of that show it's also interesting in terms of just um how many how many pieces of work eddie had in the show and i had in the show which was mm. like i had like 20 odd and eddie had 20 odd and, but the <laughs> yeah. other two had yeah so it was quite imbalanced in that way um and that would almost set you know, other black art group shows became like that almost. But, but I think yeah. that was, in terms of, of the impression which you would get walking into that space, you know. There was a lot of work there, wasn't there? Yeah, these yeah. political works were very, were very visible with the, yeah. with the fist piece and this, in the iconic center of, the, of, of this show. Just, yeah. Coming, back, coming yeah. back to the work, sorry, I was, I was just going to ask about the actual medium. I know it's, it's said that there was sculpture, um, montage, you know, collage, quite a lot of it was um, just quite sort of collage based. Is that, is, am I right in thinking that? Um, I mean, I can speak about my, my own work simply out of that kind of, um, um, what I described earlier is the tension between myself and Eddie when we were in, in foundation. So I was doing all this kind of messy neo dadaist splashing and use of text in very particular ways. Mm. Um, and so in a sense, um, I partially had to put that stuff aside 
to do to to put the work in the show, which was less like that. And this particular piece, this um, this Martin Luther King piece, is I was trying to work out when this was from, but it was actually quite an old piece when we did the show. So it might have actually been a piece from from A level, even. Mm -hmm. I think it was a very very early work, and it was um, and it was in in sense it's more conventionally like you know iconic figure political statement it's like, um, what interested me about this piece in terms of was the use of the slave ships but also the kind of very physical um paintbrush brushing out because as i say i was interested in rauschenberg i was interested in these kind of gestural um paint marks etc and this seems like a really contained version of that really calmed down version or an earlier version of what would develop into a much more kind of messy and physical style. So I think this piece came into the show as an older work, even at the time, because it sort of conformed with some of those ideas, which I sort of, you know, which the show, as it evolved, we were saying, we want work which is more political, which is, you know, education. This particular piece, um, The Death of a Stereotype, was in the show also, it was like, um, this kind of um, triptych um, collage piece. And it, I think it was an interesting piece because it was one of the first times that I used a lot of text in a work to kind of de describe this process. Mm. I mean, it's a really bad image of, of, of the piece and the piece was one of the few works from that initial show that which then went on into the Africa Center show um, the following year. And this was, um, this was from Time Out in terms of, um, our review of that show by Rashid Areen. I'd have to say that's a really interesting connection because by that time we were then in conversation with Rashid. Um, and this piece, um, it got bought at that show, which was the first time I'd ever sold a piece of work and it just disappeared. <laughs> I don't know if it still exists, it probably doesn't. It's probably yeah. found its way into a skip a long time ago. But I would really like to kind of look at this piece again because I think it was doing starting to do things which some of my later work was attempting to do in terms of the use of text the use of images the use of collage Pardon, I think you were about to you were about to make a point when uh, when, <laughs> when, when I I'm really bad at holding on to <laughs> can you remember what that was but it was just about um what what you were talking about Keith the stridency of the language um, that um, that had a massive impact with the stridency language. That it was it was so stark and it was so raw, um, and it was shocking because um, it was so not the language of the gallery space because it was so political. There's also um, you know Keith Mark. You know when you. Um, a lot of the writing on Keith's work is, is handwritten, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And um, there's something about Keith's actual mark in writing that has this um, real declarative power. So it's, it's, I don't know, it's like it's not quite a sermon, but it, it, it just has a pulpit feeling about it, you know, the, the, the polemic of it. Um, and again, I, I, it's hard to get across how groundbreaking it was to experience that in a gallery space talking about black politics in a 
in Wolverhampton <laughs> Gallery that had never shown anything like that before any gallery in England that I'd been to. Um, yeah, I just wanted to say something about the power of the language, and it was so much um, the language of these five young men. Yeah. There's a real urgency and um, immediacy about it, isn't there? Bre Brendan, do you, do you have any recollection of how, how it was received at all by, by visitors? And by, I mean, there are a few press clippings here, um, you know, which refer to the sort of rawness and the... Um, the sort of um, obvious yeah. political nature of it, but what's your memory? Well, um, I think the, the public response was very positive. I mean, we had lots of visitors to the show and um, many um, black visitors, and that was something that we didn't often get in the gallery. I mean, we did, you know, black people used to come into the gallery, but in terms of their, their, the proportion of black people in Wolverhampton, it wasn't a natural place for black people to go. There wasn't that much for them to see that related immediately to their kind of cultural ethos. Um, so lots of young black people came into the gallery, I think for the first time during that exhibition uh, and saw the inside of the municipal art gallery, like, you know, probably from the first time since they were at school and they had their school visits. So from that point of view, it was a very positive uh, thing from our point of view. Um, it, it boosted our visitor figures and it, 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 it met with or it, it touched upon part of the community that really was not targeted by the gallery in the past, but was to be targeted in the future. Um, what struck us um, in retrospect was that the exhibition um, an exhibition, the Pan-African Connection exhibition that, that went to Coventry caused a great deal more kind of um, angry response um, than the exhibition in Wolverhampton. We were kind of bracing ourselves for a lot of, a lot of outrage and a, and a lot of uh, negative responses to the show. They didn't really happen. But that kind of response, it did kick in but with, with a lot of that work, a lot of that black art. Um, later, about 18 months, two years later, when it, when it went, some of it, some of the items from the show went to Coventry. Um, and there was a, a kickback against it. Mm. Now, there are probably reasons for that. And I don't, I don't know whether this is the place to discuss it. But there was something in the air in 1981. That was a very special year. It was a kind of zeitgeisty uh, year. And... I think because of the background to the to the riots in in um, Brixton in April, and then to the following riots in in Toxteth in June, and then in Mossside, there was this kind of upsurging of a political um, tension, a political electricity almost in the in the air. You could almost taste it, and when this work was shown on the walls, it almost perfectly reflected that kind of zeitgeist of what was happening outside, uh, the anger, uh, the, the, the suppressed uh, feelings of, of, uh, of, of injustice, um, the desire, the urgent desire to shout about it and to make it public, to do something. All this kind of urgency was there in 81. Uh, and, and it was like lighting a fuse that, that kind of burned through British art, all through the 1980s and, and 90s, I think. 
But at, at, at Wolverhampton, I think we were, we were quite quite surprised at the way in which the show was accepted. It, th there weren't the usual kind of scenes in the council chamber where, where uh, there would be objections made and, the, and lots of lots of um, negative stuff in the press. It didn't happen. We're really glad about that in one respect, but in another, I'm quite surprised by it. Yeah, yeah. No, so I, I know when we've had conversations about you know acquisitions around some of the pop collection, for example, been there was huge outrage, wasn't there, about uh, about the maybe maybe that was about spending council money on uh, on particular items. But yeah, that's it's really interesting to. Uh, I might have something to do with it. I mean, I the, the show had had almost no budget. I have to say that. Yeah. I mean, there, there was a bit of framing and 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 a, and a couple of you know photographs were taken otherwise the entire thing was kind of um kitchen table job there, there was no nothing that you'd call a budget like you call it an exhibition budget now it was all done on a, on a sort of on a, on a on a wing and a prayer um and and i think that's because it was so immediate and so cost free it probably didn't actually impact with certain parts of the of the community we were looking at council expenditure with, with through a microscope at that time. Yeah. So it slipped under the radar, if you know what I mean, because it was well, deep yeah. show, and it was it, it happened quite quickly, um, yeah. and it, it it didn't rattle a lot of cages. I think those cages probably did begin to rattle a couple of years later, when people began to say, "Hey, wait a minute, what, what's all this black art stuff? And what are they saying? And and who, what's that? What's that image of the Union Jack?" And I think there was a lot of, um, it was, it arrived on the scene um, very, very quickly. It was like, it was like somebody bursting into a room and then running out again. And, and it took everyone by surprise, not least us in, in the art, in the art world, I think at that time. Yes, that, that's correct. If people have too much time to think about things. They're often, uh, they see the problems and the risks and, uh, and, uh, and decide again. So, yeah. great, you know, great that it could, it just happened. Claudette, were you just going to come in with something there? Yeah, I was just going to comment uh, about um, some of the, the newspaper clippings that, that I saw that, you know, that you circulated before we came online. Um, used the phrase, um, an exhibition of work by West Indian artists. I think quite a few of them said that. And I, don't, I think it was not until there was um, a London review that they said an exhibition of work by black artists, and and so just that thing about the language that um, uh, the central point of the exhibition for me was that it was made by black British artists, but at the time there wasn't that you know those two entities hadn't been put together. There, there were not black British people. There were West Indian people. There were descendants of West Indian people. Um, there were colored people, but you know, there were not black British people. And for me, that's, that, yeah, that was um, an identity that emerged through this, um, through this show that you know, there was a black British presence that we were saying were we're born here, we're, we're from here, um, we belong here, we have rights here, and we're going to claim them. And um, so again, the force, some of the force and the power of that exhibition, of that show was about stating a claim here, saying we have a right to be here. 
That's a really interesting point, actually. I had I hadn't picked up on that. Um, you know, the the new or the the sort of coining of Black British at that sort of particular um, time. So I, I think it's. Can I just say at this stage? I think it's key because because that that was a highly contested term in the late 1970s. And it's interesting to see that very specifically Eddie Chambers uses it in his statement as Black British English mm-hmm. because it wasn't often even conjured amongst ourselves mm. that, that there was this claim around Britishness and later Englishness with Paul Gilroy's writings, etc. I was I just want to come quickly to that that difference between um, the Wolverhampton show and the show in Coventry a few years later. I mean, the Wolverhampton show, smaller in scale, local artists made that, which was quite important. Um, in terms of Coventry, a lot of us had a history with Coventry, but Eddie and myself had been, had been students in Coventry. It was different work. The work had grown exponentially in scale by then. Um, I mean, Claudette was part of the group then, and we were doing like, like larger, much larger paintings. And the painting which actually triggered the, contro- the controversy was very was a relatively large canvas, I think it was six foot by four, which I made with the word, um, I can't even use those terms anymore, <laughs> the word fucked across the middle. And this was the, one of the things which, um, which generated this, this response. And also, um, Claude, I think some of the response was one, the, the guy who, who had complained about the offensive word on my piece also said that your work was degrading to black women. He was <laughs> someone called Mr. Harper. Um, but also, um, there was an interesting because because Coventry in the early 1980s, we'd been there in 79, 80, it'd been this incredible place with Scar, with this whole upsurge of, of music, of culture. But in the early 80s, uh, 81 to 83, 4, it became a real hotbed for the National Front and Coventry became the risky city. Yeah. So there was also, and so into, in a sense, there may have been a connection there. It may have been a connection in terms of, of that moment of backlash. Yeah. Think about Wolverhampton in the seven, late 70s. I think Wolverhampton was one of the few places which had a branch of the Ku Klux Klan. Yeah. I remember that. <laughs> so there was always these kind of things happening in these places in the West Midlands, but they were also great sites of resistance and the whole two-tone thing, rock against racism, all those kind of things which were happening in the late 70s and early 80s were very were very key to both the history of Wolverhampton and the history of Coventry, which you know, is yeah. being celebrated now with the city of culture. Yeah, I think that um, I was just noticing on this list of exhibitions here, because Coventry was 1983, yeah. That was, it was almost two years after the, the exhibition in Wolverhampton. So, as you say, a huge amount actually had happened during that period. I think, Brandon, you were going to ask a little bit more about um, uh, some of the sort of other cultural aspects, weren't you? Yes, yes. One of my um, uh, areas of interest was that, um, was that the, the mere fact that uh, Claudette and Keith were practising artists in 19, uh, 1981. Um, as a as a art gallery curator, I said earlier that um, we didn't often have application exhibition applications from um, Black British artists. There weren't that many that we knew about. There obviously were some, and they were meeting together and talking and so forth and organising, but we didn't know very much about them. And you could go into virtually any art college in the country 
and you wouldn't see many black faces, I can tell you that. Now, one thing that interested me, and that was, how come, Claudette, you became an art student? And the same question to you, Keith, how did you embark on this journey in the very, in the very first instance? Well, initially I um, was ambivalent about um, going into art because I was interested, I, I'd applied to study English and I'd also applied to study fine art and um, you know, based on my predicted grades on my A-level. And then um, when my A-level results came through, it was clear I didn't have to follow an art path because my English results were not good enough. Um, but um, I don't know. I mean, I, 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 um, I got a lot of encouragement and um, I did a very good foundation course in Manchester. And, um, and yeah, then I was lucky enough that, that at the point that I um, came to Wolverhampton, so yeah, within a year of my being there, there was a show of work by a young black artists. I mean, it was an amazing stroke of luck to, to be in the Midlands at that point. Um, but I did want to say that um, I always find it suspicion, suspicious, the absence or the, the, the lack of um, black, other black art students within my um, faculty, you know, that um, there was, you know, I was the only student in my um, year, and then there was one black art student in the year above, uh, above me, and one more black art student in the year above that. So it, from first, second, and third year, there was just one student per year. And as I went around um, colleges, I would see that pattern repeated. And I don't believe that I was the only black student who applied that, you know, but that I, I think there was something about how people, how students were being selected for, um, for um, access to these courses. And um, when I was, um, I, I did a teacher training course at one point to, um, and I, I um, did a placement at Newham College in, in London. And, um, I got to sit in on the um, the foundation interviews, and what came across to me was how much you know, how much more comfortable many members of the interview interviewing panel were with students that they understood that you know who came from similar backgrounds, who had similar concerns in their work, um, and I'm I, I'm sure by me I may. I have imagined this that someone said oh she's a good person she's people like us you know she's one of us and so I, I do think um, you know maybe one of the reasons you weren't seeing many um, students you know black students black artists um, was because the the pathway you know the gate that you entered to was so much narrower than maybe for some other students Absolutely, but, yeah. Sorry, Keith, go on. But, but the other thing was, um, in, the, in, the, in the 1970s, there were very few models of, of being an artist as a viable career, and even few, and zero models of, of black artists as being a viable career. So it's very different to, to now where students can actually see, you know, these people who are artists and doing extremely well. 
Um, in the 1970s, there were no examples of that. You know, there was David Hockney, whatever. And so, but also you have to remember that in the 1970s, um, there was, you know, there, if we think back to the winter of discontent and all of the kind of political up, up, up and heavals of that time, there were very few jobs for anybody. It was like, you know, this, this very, you know, broken down sense of, of, of the possibilities for anyone. Um, now, for, 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 for my family, you know, art was never seen as a sensible career option. And I was always told that. Yeah, I, I kind of went on, on, on usually there was um, a local art school, a secondary art school, which one of the few secondary level art schools in Birmingham called Alden Mosley School of Arts, which was actually also the closest school geographically to where I lived. And because I could draw a bit, I then went to that art school. I went through that art school, which was a really kind of quite interesting place to be at that time. And some kind of quite interesting people have come out of that art school. But it's, you know, it wasn't closed down, but it gave the possibility that you could go on into into art, but even there, you know, art wasn't seen as a viable thing to do. But, um, you know, went into foundation course because I was really interested in art at that moment, but in a very anarchic approach to art. I did really badly with my A-levels, almost failed my art A-level. <laughs> so in a sense, I, I came into foundation course being quite angry with art and doing it in a really upside down way. Um, and so in a sense, the, the whole black art group thing came and gave me a kind of more focused direction in terms of art making. Um, I'm hearing Claudette absolutely and there was this whole thing of you you were on these courses where you were the only one, where you were the only art student. When I went to Trent Polytechnic, I think I was the only one in my year. Unusually the year afterwards there were I think five young black art students who came into that year, one of whom was Donald Rudley you know, amazing, huge character, very noisy, very creative, you know, and, you know, he also became involved with that theme, but also, you know, for fantastic and very articulate reasons, you would get into conversation with these other black art students who didn't, you know, who wanted their art to do something completely different. And ever since then, I've been very aware and very respectful of black people making art who, to, who want to make, you know, abstract paintings or whatever that is that has to be an option for for us but i think that whole thing of how do like-minded art artists get together and talk about their work which was which led to both the group and things like um the conventions that we did the conference was the first one in 82 in yeah. wolverhampton and then the yeah. second one in when was the second one 84 in in nottingham yeah, I mean, that's the next phase, isn't it? And I know next year um, will be the 40th anniversary of the convention in Wolverhampton. And I think that's another opportunity to sort of celebrate what uh, what happened there because it was really a sort of momentous, um, was it over two days or one? Was it a, yeah, it was a one day. A one day yeah. convention. I mean, it just sounded absolutely, I mean, it was just a sort of explosion of cultural um, activity that seemed to sort of... Um, emerge from that. Um, I think we've sort of touched on a little bit, but I'm 
on on sort of where we are now and reflecting back. Um, I know, um, yeah, Brendan was, um, you know, the, uh, was wanting to, to raise a question, which I don't know if you want to talk about your, your, your sort of final question there, Brendan, um, about sort of um, claiming the space and... Uh, yeah, um, I mean, I think it's, uh, it's, 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 it's important really to think about that. I mean, what's, um, I, I, my question was um, that the black art movement set out to claim a space and a voice um, within the cultural life of, of the UK. And to what extent do both of you, um, Claudette and Keith, think that target has been achieved or is there some long way to go yet? I mean, uh, making, making that, that space for black art within the British art establishment, within British visual culture. I mean, it, things have progressed yeah. Im immensely since then. But do you think it's been, have, have you won the battle? As Have you won <laughs> the war? No, the answer to that is. But um, um, I was thinking that, of course it was about, um, um, making our presence felt and yes having a place within British art and being seen as part of British art but it was also um, reflecting a voice that had not been heard you know the, um, um, yeah making space for that voice so it, it wasn't you know, you're claiming a space but you're also um, trying to address this invisibility that we were talking about earlier that you know it, it, again it's hard to um convey uh how how profoundly invisible we were on in many many different spheres you know we were you know in politics and in um and in uh, and in the arts um we were just just a, a very newly emerging presence so um so so everything that made made any everything that went towards making us more visible was um profoundly impactful because there had been so much invisibility i think that's what i'd say about yes thank you uh, can i just yeah. Tom, I mean, just to respond to, to that question because i always find it it problematic when people say um, has it been, you know, has this process been completed or is it, you know, because change happens and there is constant change. We have to, and we have to constantly be gauging and recording, celebrating, looking at the way things are changing and progressing whilst at the same time acknowledging that there's still a long way to go. There's still a lot which needs to be, which needs to be done. I mean, one of the initial um, aims the written aims of some of the writing around the Black Art Group was to make the minority, the, the majority aware of what the minority were doing, but also in making um, a sense where uh, to speak about contemporary, contemporary British art, you would have to include the work of Black artists within that. Yeah. And I think that second one, I think that you know, there are some really important um, um, stages within that, which have happened and, and, and we need to celebrate. You know, mm -hmm. from, yeah, you know, I think the, the kind of a significant moment was when in the emergence of the YBAs, 
you had, you know, you had Chris Ophelia there in that book, you know, and Steve McQueen there as integral parts of that, you know, and then going on into, into you know, getting, having black artists representing like Britain at Venice, we've got Sonia this year, which is fantastic, you know, um, um, Turner Prize winners in Lubaina and all kind, you know, and so in a sense that whole, that, that, that particular part of the project is not complete, but, but very, you know, there are some important like milestones in terms of that and milestones which you need to celebrate at the same time as, as not becoming complacent and saying, well, let's, that act and it's done up and finished yeah, because obviously cool. there are waves of, you know, and there are some fantastic waves of young artists coming out. I mean, I'm, you know, involved in education. I'm seeing some really brilliant young artists beginning to emerge or emerge, who have emerged over the years. And so, you know, it's about, you know, making sure that when we talk about contemporary art practice in this country, this becomes a really important part of that. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, but that's an ongoing uh, can battle. I, can I, I just add a, a supplementary? Uh, uh, something just occurred to me while you were talking, uh, Keith. And that is, um, uh, uh, during the exhibition, I was sitting in the office with um, Eddie Chambers uh, at the gallery, and um, I, <laughs> we were having a cup of coffee. And I said to him, uh, "So, what are your plans for the future, Eddie? What What do you think you, you're going to be doing? It like, you know." What, what's your future in the arts? And he said, I want to do what you do. And I said, what do you mean? He said, I want to be a curator. And I think from my point of view, that was one of the most important things that came out of that show was that it, it taught us that um, black people could be, become curators, could become, if you like, the ringmasters in, 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 in this whole kind of situation. And not always the applicant, but mm. to take the initiative to 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 have creative curatorship, and to to bring black art into the public domain in a way that, in a sense, a lot of white curators couldn't do. So I I felt as though that was the most significant thing Eddie said to me that day, um, and I've always remembered it, and I've always taken an interest in his career because, of course, he went on to be. A curator of international renown. <laughs> I stayed at Wolverhampton, so uh, <laughs> that's my story. <laughs> very, very big thank you to um, our three guest speakers. It's been really, really good to be able to celebrate the uh, the anniversary in this way. Really pleased that we were able to do that. So, yes, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Okay. Thank you. And there you have an amazing and fascinating conversation between, 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 um, and there you have an amazing conversation um, between Carol Brendan, Keith and Claudette and I want to thank all four of them for allowing me to create this little podcast from their conversation about black art and done. So if you want to see um, Keith's work well then Keith has a solo show 
happening at the new art gallery in Warsaw in 2022 called Jet Black Futures. So do follow new art gallery in Warsaw to keep up to date about when that show will open. And if you want to see Claudette's work, then she has an upcoming solo show at the Hollybush Gardens in London, which will take place in autumn of this year. So do keep close watch to those two organisations, those two venues, to catch Claudette's and Keith's work. And thank you to you all for listening to this podcast and, and joining us to celebrate the 40th anniversary of Black Art and Done being opened at the gallery. Next month we'll be discussing fantasy. So we're we'll looking at the family-friendly exhibit Brick Live Fantasy Kingdom that will be opened in the gallery this summer where we'll be meeting knights and wizards and magical creatures as um, I explore the Brick Kingdom alongside Maria Gray who some people might know as Dolphin Storm Ranger who is a local geek who ha runs Geek Meets in the city. She is an amazing person I've met, um, I've had a few conversations with and she has an amazing creative practice and she's really championing creativity and culture within the city. So alongside her we'll be talking about her creative practice, her writing and how these geek meets that she set up um, came about and what they've done for the city. Um, pre-lockdown and throughout lockdown and going forward. Um, it'll be amazing to, to talk to her and explore the fantasy world that we have created at the Art Gallery this summer. It'll be a really magical podcast which I can't wait to explore and share with you all. So please do keep um, in tune and if you want to keep up with everything that the art gallery is doing do follow at Wolverhampton Art Gallery on Facebook or at Wolf Art Gallery on Twitter. Well it's been a joy to talk to you all and thank you for listening in. Until next time, goodbye.